News Network. Fake news, circular logic, disinformation, outright lies. What do you do when the truth goes underground? Well, here, let me get that door for you. Welcome to TNN, the Truth News Network. And your host is Dan Newman. Here we are in the midst of doing what we do, seeking the truth. And we're into January. (laughs) No, you thought for a minute you went to sleep for three months. (laughs) First day of September. Wow, here we are, back to school. Leaves are about to fall. Well, if you live in the South, the leaves are falling off. It's because they're drying up and falling off, not because they're turning because of the changing seasons. It's been an unusually hot summer in the South. We always expect it to get hot. And every once in a while, there'll be one of those 100-degree days. But we've probably had 15, maybe even two dozen 100-degree-plus days in northwest Louisiana, at least. And it seems like that's all over the nation. And, of course, every time that comes up and we hear about it, we just wait, wait. Don't get in a hurry, wait. You're going to hear the climate activists say, it's global warming, climate change, it's that evil thing. We've got to do this, we've got to do that so that we can control the weather. Like that's ever going to happen. And they have lofty objectives in what they're doing. Listen to what their plans are by the end of this century. You know, the 2020 Is that right? I guess it is. I have no idea. It'll be 2100 at the end of this century. Nevertheless, we have 78 years left. We're going to work hard. We're going to unite. We're going to pull together. And our overarching objective for all of our climate change policies, think about it, getting rid of fossil fuels, getting rid of those evil oil companies, and relying on those very climate-friendly electric vehicles. You know, the ones where we have to destroy acres upon acres of earth to dig these strip mines so that we can get the minerals out of the ground that are necessary to build the battery for these electric vehicles. Forget about that. Don't even think about that. Don't even think about your city, wherever you live. And it doesn't matter which one in which you live. Every city does not have a power grid that is able to support a certain number of people using electric vehicles. It's already happening. Yesterday, the California government warned everybody, we're going to have some really bad power grid days over the next week or two. And then they put out a written directive telling all Californians, don't charge your card this week. Leave your EV car at home in the garage and don't charge it because we don't have the capacity in our power grid to take care of it. And think about it. We're just beginning to get into that direction. Americans are, for the first time, really getting excited about transitioning, some people are, away from fossil fuel to electric vehicles. There are definitely pros and cons. And nobody's addressed the cons when it comes to making the changes. And these governors and these state legislatures are passing these bills, signing them into law. Oh, we're going to be out of fossil fuel by 2030, 2035, whatever the number is. 
look what's happening today, today in Northern Europe, in Germany. They did away with their fossil fuel. They did away with their coal plants that were pretty much the principal source for getting their power, getting their electricity, getting all of their needs that required some type of fuel. And the climate activists, of course, they swooshed into Germany and they blackmailed the government basically over a period of months and years and they finally got their wish. The government began to close all the coal plants because we have these two big pipelines that are coming into our nation from Russia where we can get natural gas, which is much more user-friendly and much more efficient than coal. And so they did that, shut those plants. And that's not an easy thing to do. And it took some time and a whole lot of money, but they did it. They did away with that evil coal. And guess what's happened? We predicted it here at TNN Live. Vladimir Putin is going to take over controlling the energy in Northern Europe by controlling the output coming from those two pipelines. And he's doing it randomly. Every few weeks, he'll shut one or both of them down for three or four or five days. And every time he does, all he has to explain is, is just say, hey, we have a problem at this one station and we had to go offline for a few days to fix it. And then the second one that I remember was last week. They went offline, I think, for three days. And they were told, the people in Germany, government in Germany, were told by the Russian government that this was just a ordinary, let's check things over, shutting things down. To me and to Germans, what that meant, those two shutdowns meant was, hey, I've got my finger on the pulse of all your energy. You do something I don't like, boom, I'm going to turn it off. And we predicted that would happen. So guess what the Germans announced yesterday? They're rushing, rushing to get a nuclear plant online very quickly to replace what they have now because they're not able to control their own energy. If you'll get back up at the 10,000-foot level and you look down on the landscape of what's going on here in the United States, you see that the left has totally politicized and weaponized climate change against anybody who disagrees with the climate change tenets that they have, uh, uh, they're written in stone. I think God himself wrote the climate change edicts in stone. At least they want to shove that down everybody's throats. And they tell us over and over and over and over again, you're going to die if you don't get away from fossil fuels. And even Mr. Electric Car, Elon Musk, Elon Musk is pointing at Washington, D.C. and telling this administration, now, this is Elon Musk, Mr. Tesla. They all run, by the way, in case you didn't know it, on electricity, on batteries. So you would think he'd be out there touting electric vehicles to replace all the fossil fuel vehicles. He said that the Biden administration was foolish, was foolish 
to put fossil fuel production on the shelves now. We need more fossil fuels in the United States. Why? This is a techno giant. And he just plainly said, hey, we don't have the capacity to do all electric cars for everybody. We don't have a power grid sufficient to support that particular segment of uh, of uh, EV industry. He, he thinks that we need to get to that point, but we've got to build it up to be able to do it, and it's nowhere near capable of doing all that now. So why the big push? Why so hard? It's real simple. What good things do Democrats have to talk about this midterm election? What accomplishments have they seen happen in their world of politics in the last two years? There aren't any. In fact, there are a bunch of negatives that can be used against them by their opponents in uh, local and state elections and, of course, congressional elections. And I don't even need to number those for you. You know what they are yourselves. So they, they've got one thing left that they can hold on to and pray that they've been successful in convincing the majority of Americans that we've got to get away. We've got to run fast away from fossil fuel and embrace electric vehicles and electricity, controlling all of those things that rely on a power grid. What runs the power grid? Principally, what is the source of energy that goes into the United States power grid? A huge majority comes from fossil fuels, power plants. A huge majority of our power plants are fueled by coal. Next largest percentage, natural gas. (laughs) Electric energy is way down at the bottom. It's impractical (laughs) to run a electric power plant because the source of the energy, it's just not capable to support the demand on the production at these power plants. But they don't want to talk about that. They don't want to talk about their their jets that use a hundred times more fossil fuel and therefore tons of more emissions than do you or I if you don't fly around all over the nation and the world in a private jet. And when you fly, you go commercial, right? But they want to talk bad about us if we don't agree in their climate change philosophies when they're hypocritically jumping on these private jets and flying around the world. And even the climate czar for Joe Biden, his family, he and his wife on a private jet chartering company and they fly everywhere themselves on private jets. They go to these big meetings. I mean, international, big, huge meetings with power brokers from probably 75 to 100 different countries in attendance. And they stand up at the podium and they tell everybody out there that's listening in, that's looking at them with bated breath, watching, waiting, hear this wisdom on what we're going to do to save the world. You know, that lofty goal that we have, which is to reduce Earth's average temperature by one and a half degrees. 
by the end of the century. We got to push hard to get to that or we're going to lose the world over one and a half degrees of temperature. Well, they got to they got to tell us something. They've got to tell us what their goal is, at least so that we'll keep authorizing all the bazillions of dollars to go to these climate change activist entities and what are they doing with all this money? Oh, they tell us they've got the technology already rolled out. We've got electric cars. We've got batteries. We've got wind energy. Oh, my goodness. Look at all the the windmills that we have around the nation. And then solar energy. Oh, my gosh. If you throw up a couple of acres of solar panels, you can use that to power your 1,000-foot home. A couple of acres of solar panels. It's almost that ridiculous. In fact, that word, the R word, ridiculous, describes what this push for climate change really is. And I don't want to use the literal expletive here on the show, but you know what I'm talking about when I tell you. All of this climate change stuff, it's horse hockey. And it's a lot of it. A bunch of it. And it's all being led right now, at least, by the, whatever you want to call him, the title, I'll just say, by President Biden. And he's got so many dilemmas on his plate, he always has to go back, especially when he gets off the uh, teleprompter. He's got to go back to the one thing he can remember. What is that? Attack. Republicans attack them, and he's going to be on television tonight, a primetime speech, and he, he told us it's going to be about restoring the soul of America. Now, when they, when they plan these speeches for any president, they'll leak a few tidbits of things that are going to be included. He'll continue his attacks on those extreme MAGA Republicans focusing on threats to democracy that come from those groups. He's going to take direct aim at the Republican Party and, of course, Donald Trump MAGA supporters. It's unclear if Biden will mention Trump by name when he speaks. White House Press Secretary Jean-Pierre said the president is not going to shy away to call out what he clearly sees is happening in this country. When I heard her say that, it's like, okay, why don't you do this, Corrine? Why don't you lay out for all of us and everybody around the world to know what his expectation is and what does he clearly see is happening in this country and what are his plans to take care of those things? He's going to continue his attacks on extreme MAGA Republicans, and he even went so far as calling anybody that's a conservative, anybody that disagrees with him, semi-fascist. He's going to use his remarks to take direct aim at the Republican Party tonight and the supporters of former President Trump, who Biden paints as extremists who want to take away American rights. They are actually saying that. They're telling their followers that conservatives are extremists who want to take away the rights of Americans. Now, wait a minute. 
Everything I hear and see that Republicans put up against Democrat policies is the Republicans and other conservatives are pushing back on Democrat policies because they're taking away Americans' individual liberties and rights without any authorization. And the Republicans are trying to stop the real fascist in the room, Democrat left-wing activists are fascist by definition to try to stop that from being successful. In a speech we're told Biden tonight will frame November's congressional election in which Democrats are seeking to hold on to control of Congress as part of an ongoing battle for what he says is a battle for the soul of the nation. You know, that soul of the nation that he said in front of that black crowd at that Baptist church, those evil conservatives want to put y'all back in chains. He didn't bother to remind them that those people that put them in chains, that started the Civil War to keep them in chains, were evil Southern Democrats, the ones that started the Ku Klux Klan. He's going to use a historic backdrop to make his point. He's going to speak outside of Philadelphia's Independence Hall, the site where the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution were debated and adopted by America's founding fathers. How appropriate, but also how hypocritical. The guy that stands up there and everything that he wants to do, everything, is totalitarian in nation. And everything he fights against is anybody that dare stands up and says, we need to reduce the size of our government. We need to reduce the size of money being sent to and spent by those in Washington. We, the people, need to make it very clear by standing up and saying we've had enough that Congress works for us and it's not the other way. Yesterday, White House Press Secretary Jean-Pierre said, the MAGA Republicans are the most energized part of the Republican Party. Boy, what a compliment. But her next sentence just kind of blew away her first sentence. Quote, they just don't respect the rule of law, (laughs) she said, of MAGA Republicans. And they are pursuing an agenda that takes away people's rights It's exactly opposite of that. Do they really think when they say these things that people out there that are thinking, knowing, knowledgeable, cognizant people believe this crud that they're saying? There's no doubt Republicans, probably MAGA Republicans, are the most energized part of the Republican Party, but they don't respect the rule of law. Democrats are trampling every day all over the rule of law, including her boss. Every day he is suborning federal criminality in the thousands. What am I talking about? Every person he lets come across the southern border on his watch is a criminal when they step foot into the United States illegally. Illegally. Democrats are using the recent Supreme Court ruling 
Roe v. Wade, they overturned it to rally their supporters to vote this November. No, they thought they were going to be able to ride that horse to victory in the midterms. It didn't last very long because guess what? The Supreme Court didn't rule that abortion is illegal. What they said was the federal government does not have the constitutional authority to weigh in on pro or con abortion issues. It has to be done by the people's direct representatives, the state houses of legislation. Biden's going to use a historic backdrop. Yeah, him being in front of uh, Independence Hall, boy, that is a hypocritical thing. Democrats are using that Supreme Court ruling, doing everything they can with it, not getting any footage. It's unclear if Biden's even going to mention Trump by name when he talks tonight. But Jean-Pierre said the president is not going to shy away to call out what he clearly sees is happening in this country. Trump remains a force to be reckoned with inside the Republican Party, pushing his influence in primaries across the country where he just, he knocked a home run every, every race almost. His MAGA supporters can make or break any candidate, any Republican candidate. His records in those races is mixed. He took down his top target, Wyoming Republican Representative Liz Cheney in her primary, but other Republicans who voted for his impeachment have gone on to primary victories. Now there are rumblings of worry from some in the GOP leadership who fear this federal investigation into whether Trump took classified documents from the White House will impact them at the ballot box in November. Trump, though, still has his, I mean, all-in defenders. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, a close Trump ally, announced he would speak in Scranton, Pennsylvania today in front of Biden's remarks. RNC National Chairwoman Ronna McDowell said that Biden's agenda has pitted neighbors against each other, rewarded the wealthy while punishing working families, trampled on the rights and freedoms of Americans. Joe Biden is the divider-in-chief and epitomizes the current state of the Democrat Party, one of divisiveness, disgust, and hostility towards half the country. Here's what I don't understand. Democrats are supposed to be the smartest political group on earth in world history. And they are very good at what they do. Normally, they always pull together and pull around anybody that's in the middle of some controversy to support them in unison. Republicans, not so much. Republicans are more into individual achievement and accomplishments and letting individuals do what they do, but pulling together around common conservative causes, not agreeing with everybody in total, but at least finding consensus in the majority of philosophy ideas sufficient to get together and pass people that run in congressional races to get them in a position where they are going to be able to represent their people in conservative causes. Democrats have discovered that Americans are awakening to the differences between This Democrat Party, not the previous ones, but this one, and the conservatives 
that are in Congress and those that are running for races to get congressional seats. And Americans aren't happy. A lot of Democrats are unhappy with this Democrat Party. And the fear is, coming out of this White House, that there are going to be enough Democrats that maybe would be upset with Joe and his lack of leading the nation and doing so from a a position of power and authority, honoring the Constitution and the laws of the nation. Many of those laws, he was involved with passing them. When he lived for 40-something years as the U.S. Senator from Delaware, And Americans realize that. Democrat hopes for the midterms seem to be going up. A new Wall Street Journal poll showed the party has made gains among independent voters. And Americans have an improved view of President Biden. You you get this kind of story. And then I got another another story last night that says Joe Biden's likability and uh, the opinion that Americans have for him has slumped again, down back into the 30% range. Bottom line about polls, you can make any poll, depending on the way you couch the questions that are asked in these telephone polls, even the, the tone of voice that the caller uses on that listener that's answering polling questions. I used to I used to try to live in that land where I would put two or three of them together and see if I could find some consensus. Very seldom does that happen. So what do we have on our agenda today? If you looked at the cover story on truthnewsnet.org today, you know that we are talking over the next few days here We're going to write stories and publish facts, give you real numbers on the corruption of people in the United States Congress. And I must be honest with you, as I was doing this research, I'm writing this series. The first story's up today. I didn't believe before I started this that it was nearly as bad as it is. And I think it's important for you and every American to follow this two or three part series. I don't know if there's going to be a third part. But to follow it so you know what people in this government are doing. And let me be frank with you. There's a lot of corruption among members of the Democrat Party. But the Republicans don't get a free pass because their house is pretty dirty as well. So I want you to make sure that over the weekend and even into next week that you're very cognizant of the stories that are going up at truthnewsnet.org because we're going to point you in some directions. We'll give you some facts. We always do. And we never give you an ironclad conclusion if we get one. If I get one and it's my opinion... I very honestly always say, this is what I think. We give you facts every day on this show. And then we let you determine by examining those facts and seeing for yourself if there are any things out there that disagree with what you hear here and then let you make your determination for yourself. 
but we are going to give you facts, and we started today with our story. We're going to give you facts and numbers so you can make your own determinations. And I'll just lead with this and tease it a little bit. We all know that members of Congress make in the area of $170,000 a year base salary, and we know that it's way more expensive to live in Washington, D.C. than most other spots on in the United States. So going up there and staying up there and living up there, even if it's just part-time, it's real difficult on a $170,000 base salary to have a second residence in Washington, D.C. I get all that. But what few people know is these people do work directly for the American people. And it's the only job I've ever heard of in the nation where the employee has sole authority over determining how much money they get paid for everything that they do on their job. We have no input, no say-so, except at the ballot box. But that 170000 a year number, where did that come from? It came from the members of Congress who determined for themselves, hey, I need a raise. We all need a raise. Why don't, why don't, why don't we pay each other $170,000 a year? Oh, by the way, why we need a, you know, we've got to have a staff in our offices. We have all these things we have to take care of for our people back home. We need a significant um, travel account. We need an office account. We need to hire a bunch of people. Give us a number. And they're talking to their fellow congressional members because they determine what that number is. They determine what days they work. They determine what days they don't work. They determine what days they're in session. And they determine when they go home. And if anybody ever asks one about, man, you spend very little time in the Capitol in Washington, D.C., why is that? They'll give you this long list of what they have to do. Oh, we got to come back home. We have to go campaign. We have to meet with our, our local people. So it takes a lot of time and a lot of money for us to be able to do that. And we have to know what the people want us to do. That's what we are doing when we're in Washington, D.C. How can we find out? Well, in my world now, I've changed a lot. I used to do... In the early days of my company, I did a lot of face-to-face stuff. I spent a buttload full of time on an airplane flying from and two cities across the nation. We had medical clients, most of them hospitals, in pretty much all the big cities, including Washington Hospital Center, the big one in Washington, D.C. I did a lot of that. But I did it because it was necessary to interact personally with the leaders of these clients. We've got Zoom now. And to be quite honest with you, most people on the other side of the conversation would much rather not have to get face-to-face with you in person, but don't mind doing it on a computer Zoom call. Congress, I'm sure they do some of that, but you know what? They could do their entire campaigning, or almost their entire campaigning, via Zoom. It would cost a whole lot less. But they really don't care because you and I, we're paying the bill. And oh, by the way, they determine we're going to pay them $170,000 a year for their hard, hard work. 
and yet they fight to get it. And you know why? Yeah, there are a few out there that they want to serve. They really want to serve the American people. In the House of Representatives, they want to serve the people that live in their district. But the percentage of those that are doing it for that reason is dwindling. There are fewer and fewer who are looking to do that, and more and more are looking for, hey, quid pro quo, what's in it for me? Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents A Word From Your Wallet. Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. Shop at H&M. Be stylish. Be trendy. With women's clothes and accessories at the best quality and the best prices since 1947. Come to H&M and shop for women's clothing and accessories inspired by the latest fashion trends. Here at H&M, the master of cheap fashion, clothes cost the average price of $21.40. Wow, that's so cheap and affordable. I know, right? H&M offers fashion and quality clothing at an affordable price. So, what are you waiting for? Come shop at H&M today! Hashtag Hot and Modern. Enrique Santos for Taco Bell. The toasted cheddar chalupa from Taco Bell is back, and I know what you're thinking, because I'm thinking the same thing. Did they really toast six-month-old aged cheddar right onto a delicious flaky chalupa shell again? Yes, they did. But now it's even tastier. It comes with a crunchy taco, cinnamon twist, and a medium drink, all in a $5 box. That's right, all that for just a little cheddar. But don't forget, it's back for a limited time. The $5 Toasted Cheddar Chalupa Box, only at Taco Bell. song and when it came out I thought it was way ahead of its time you know some of the Beatles songs were that way but this one green-eyed lady I just love the sound of it anyway what do we have coming up well I want to tell you we're gonna we're gonna talk about the Mar-a-Lago stuff and um, I'm just gonna talk about a few specific things within it because we are getting it everywhere from everybody every News outlet on television especially pontificates every time they get their open microphone to either rah-rah President Trump or to diminish President Trump and turn him into a criminal. Well, the Justice Department, they admitted on Monday of this week that they improperly, maybe illegally, collected attorney-client privilege documents during that raid in, in Trump's Mar-a-Lago. And of course, immediately in the same filing, when they said that, here's what they said. Oh, but let us assure you, it's no big deal because the Department of Justice has a very good process to segregate privileged material. 
So what they really meant, but they didn't say, was, just trust us. We're the Department of Justice. We wouldn't do anything ugly. The definition and the legality of privileged material is to keep people, like the FBI people that went in there and the ones that took control of these documents that have nothing to do with what they went in there, they're privileged material, which means a lot of them are privileged notes that are taken when they're meeting with their lawyers. Privilege means nobody else can see it unless the people that are involved in that give their permission. This DOJ is telling Americans, just trust us. And then every day we see them break the law, go behind people's backs, using people against each other. They're breaking all of their own department rules every day, and still they get up in front of us. We see it on these congressional television hearings. Christopher Ray himself, Merrick Garland, Department of Justice Attorney General himself, And they'll talk down to anybody that asks them questions like, who are you? You don't have the right to ask me that question. You don't know what you're doing. I'm going to tell you whatever I want to tell you, and you're going to have to believe it because we're not going to respond to you and give you any documents or answer any of your questions. Why? Because we're the Department of Justice. That is and the way I just described it, is not overkill. It's not at all. They have destroyed this whole firewall that is built by the Constitution to protect privileged material in a pending kind of litigation or criminal trial. And they just blew right through that. There's a bunch of distrust among defense attorneys, justifiably so, including the firm that once employed Hunter Biden about the honor system. You know, if we're in the legal business, law enforcement business, oh, we raise our hands and we swear an oath. And we're going to protect the Constitution and the rights of every American citizen under the Constitution. And then they just go willy-nilly and break them. And the big thing they do is they leak little tidbits every day. The New York Times and Washington Post, they are both nothing more than mouthpieces for the bullets that the left need to shoot at those on the right and do it almost always anonymously. You remember the name Cash Patel. He was an operative in the Trump administration. He said yesterday that in those documents that came out, the Justice Department did not redact his name in that affidavit that came out, at least partially came out. They left his name in there. They didn't redact it because they did so for political purposes and they're trying to silence him. Last week, a U.S. magistrate judge ordered the release of that Department of Justice affidavit that was used to obtain that search warrant. And it was heavily redacted, and they took out most everybody's names 
but not Cash Patel. Patel told Just the News that the DOJ intentionally decided to politicize the affidavit for a bunch of reasons. But one, he said, which I wasn't even expecting them to do, was put my name out there. It had added absolutely no value, violated every procedure at the DOJ in relation to protecting parties and people's names. It's not clear yet why they chose not to keep Patel's name covered up. There's only one other person identified by name, and that's longtime Carolyn Maloney, a Democrat from New York, the head of the House Oversight Committee, who was told by the National Archives about materials that were obtained earlier this year from Mar-a-Lago. That was done for a political effect because they wanted to try to silence me. This is Cash talking and President Trump and everybody else too, and get the mainstream media to threaten me, which it has done. Earlier this month, DOG officials argued against releasing that affidavit, claimed that doing so would protect the integrity of their investigation while saying it would also stop witnesses from coming forward. But U.S. Magistrate Judge Bruce Reinhardt, the same judge, who signed off on the FBI search warrant, asked those prosecutors to submit a redacted version, which they did, and they left Cash Patel's name unredacted and Representative Carolyn Maloney. I don't have any idea when they would do Maloney, but Cash Patel has a lot. He knows a lot about pretty much the inner workings of the Trump administration. And basically what they're saying, the DOJ to Cash Patel hey, you're open game. We're leaving your name out there and all these far-left investigative operations that every one of these cable television networks have and these newspapers, they're going to be up in your grill. You better shut up or we're going to inform them that we want them to push forward against you full bore. Every day now, we're going to keep you posted at the... I don't want to say the 10,000-foot level. That's a little too high. Let's say a 1,000-foot level. Uh, Unless there's something really big that comes out in the Mar-a-Lago stuff because I'm sick of it myself. Everybody talks about it, and everybody just goes to one corner or the other and just line up for the boxing match. There's There's no real context that's real in that, so why spend all the time that most of us do? It's just for news ears. That's that's the only thing it's it's about. Well, don't talk about don't talk about any cheating in the 2020 election. You'll immediately be canceled. There was no cheating. And almost every day we have stories coming out of states around the nation where election systems were found to be faulty. People were caught stuffing ballot boxes. People are being tried and sent to jail over cheating, but there was no cheating. In Arizona, supporters for election integrity got a big victory when the Arizona Supreme Court held that Proposition 210 there, which is a ballot initiative to undo Arizona's new election integrity law. That new law, by the way, was passed And it was financed a heavy, heavy campaign 
with George Soros's money. And the Arizona Supreme Court yesterday said that it cannot be on the November ballot because of a lack of valid signatures. I won't go into all the details of it, but Arizona is one of the states. There are several that do this. They decided that statutory reforms were necessary to make it easy to vote, but hard to cheat, to increase public confidence in the election results there. And as you know, the 2020 election, there are millions of Americans that don't believe that the election results in Maricopa County, which is Phoenix, and that was where the spot was in the state that determined the results of who their electors were going to vote for, and it wasn't Donald Trump. In the Arizona Constitution, laws passed by elected legislatures can be overridden by ballot initiatives. Now think about that. You elect the representatives in each legislature, the people do, and so they're supposed to go there and represent the voices of the people that vote for them. But Arizona allows some of those things to be overridden by ballot initiatives. I wonder why they go to that. I really do. They don't trust they don't trust their legislatures. Many of these initiatives impose measures that lawmakers reject after careful consideration. One such example of a left-wing initiative was Arizona's forced taxpayer funding of political campaigns, which, by the way, the U.S. Supreme Court struck down. It's an unconstitutional violation of the First Amendment. So George Soros largely funded the latest effort to override the elected legislature in the Grand Canyon State as his Open Society Foundation, as well as another activist group called Way to Win, which claims credit for Democrat victories in 2020, together funded a ballot initiative through a left-wing group with the euphemistic name Arizonans for Free and Fair Elections. They um, pretty well funded, very on point. They submitted over 475,000 signatures. So conservatives in the state, they challenged the validity of these signatures And so after a round of litigation, the Arizona Supreme Court sent the matter back to Phoenix to a judge for a final assessment. The trial judge held last week, the organizers had barely met the necessary 239,926 signatures that cleared the hurdle by only a couple of thousand votes. But on appeal again to the Arizona Supreme Court, The justices held that they were unable to verify the validity rate used by the trial court, ordered the trial judge to explain his calculations by midday last Friday when the judge failed to justify his numbers. The Arizona Supreme Court concluded the ballot initiative did not have enough legal signatures to move forward and be put on the election in November. Isn't it interesting? Every state that even thinks about leaning to the right, they're being attacked by George Soros and others like him, trying to come up with ways to interject their politicization into the democratic process within these states. Meanwhile, Corrine Jean-Pierre at the White House press briefing is telling us that 
Americans that are Republicans and conservatives are trying to destroy our democracy when their buddy, George Soros, is literally doing that and conservatives are standing up and saying, we're not going to take it anymore. We're going to expose what you're doing, your corruption, bring it to the voters and make sure they understand what's actually happened while you're feeding all these lies to the American people. And there are plenty of those to go around. So, Judge Janine, you know her. She's on Fox News. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on in the FBI, a lot of investigations, and it's led chiefly by a bunch. There's a bevy of legal whistleblowers that have come forward and they are turning evidence, states out of evidence, to expose the illegal activity that has been going on and is going on. And right smack dab in the middle of it all is FBI Director Christopher Wray. So what's going on and what is wanted to happen and what will happen? Confidence in the FBI is now at an all-time low, and it may never recover. And it's not just everyday Americans who are disillusioned with the Bureau. It's rank-and-file agents. FBI whistleblowers are now calling for Director Christopher Ray's ouster, saying they have lost confidence in his ability to lead the agency. Their lawyer, Kurt Sudak, who is a former agent himself, telling the Washington Times, quote, I'm hearing from FBI personnel that they feel like the director has lost control of the bureau. They're saying he's got to leave. This news comes after the bombshell resignation of agent Tim Tebow, who conspired to bury Hunter's laptop. Tebow denies the allegations, but why did he step down then? And that's not all. According to whistleblowers, Tebow pressured FBI employees to pad domestic violent extremism case counts. Now, I wonder why he would do that. We have a growing fear of uh, domestic uh, violent extremism um, and domestic terrorism. Domestic terrorism has been and continues to be a top concern for the FBI. Domestic terrorism from white supremacists is the most lethal terrorist threat in the homeland. One thing is clear. The institutional rot in the FBI has led to a major crisis of confidence. So what, if anything, can be done to restore it? Representative Daryl Issa is former Judiciary Committee member. Welcome to the show. Good to see you, Congressman. Well, thanks for me, having me on, uh, Judge. And you're exactly right. Confidence at the FBI and also at the Department of Justice mm -hmm. has created a groundswell of new whistleblowers who are coming forward, talking to Jim Jordan and uh, Thomas Massey and myself. Mm -hmm. But also, uh, they're going public in many cases, asking for reforms, getting the politics out of the Department of Justice and particularly the FBI. How do you do that, Congressman? I mean, we saw it from the top with James Comey, and we all wanted to believe it was just at the top. Uh, what was it on the on the seventh floor? You know, Comey struck Page and that whole gang. But now, you know, when you hear about this guy who just stepped down, you hear about the fact that with Christopher Ray, I've never heard anybody getting fired. Nobody gets fired, and we hear all of this we've watched over the years for the past five or six years. All of this wrongdoing, nobody gets fired. Well, that's going to change in January if we have our way, uh, 
chair, incoming Chairman Jordan and the rest of us very much want to make sure that we put these people in front of our committee, first in deposition and then publicly if appropriate, uh, and make sure that we hold them accountable for what they've done. We also want to further empower uh, the uh, inspector general. We've had a good inspector general at uh, Department of Justice, but he's been hamstrung many, many times, uh, particularly when someone resigns that he wants to speak to. Uh, we very much need to make sure that we change that. And we're going to try to uh, uh, do that in a couple of ways. The most important judge is making sure that resignation or retirement does not put you outside the reach of the inspector general. We're going to change that if it's the last thing we do uh, on judiciary. Well, you know, I certainly understand the importance of hearings, the importance of having the public understand what's going on. Uh, but I think in this hyper-partisan world, or, or America, that we're living in right now, people attribute a lot of this stuff to politics. People see the world in two, one of two ways. My concern is if someone like Christopher Wray is at the head of the FBI, and I couldn't agree more in terms of this guy and the way he's run this agency, um, you know, there's nothing that Congress can do to get him removed. Well, you're exactly right. And, and remember that constitutionally, we have no power to indict anyone, no power to take anyone in front of a grand jury or even get him criminally in front of a, a judge. Uh, as a result, we've got to repair uh, the Department of Justice. Yeah. And if that means that there are a great many term appointees who are not political, uh, we'll do it. We're going to have to make these changes because the American people have realized that this president, and quite frankly, President Obama before him, have weaponized the Department of Justice and used the FBI as a tool against their political enemies. Okay. All right. We have just received a statement uh, from the FBI. It says, quote, attempts to politicize FBI agents' work and divide our team should be rejected. While there are some who claim to speak on behalf of FBI agents, only the FBI Agents Association, representing more than 90% of active duty special agents, serve as the voice for these agents. With a clear eye on our mission, we remain confident in Director Ray and his leadership team, as well as our agents. Well, that's the reason that the other 10% don't belong to a rubber stamp union and don't want to uh, be told that everything is just fine. There's no problem here. Of course, there's a problem and there's been a problem. Uh, that raid certainly uh, says a lot about how they don't have their act together and they're being politicized. Well, I think, you know, I, I must tell you, Congressman, the thing that pretty much put me over the edge was when the uh, attorney general came out and started calling parents domestic terrorists and said he was going to sick the FBI on them all because of this critical race theory. Uh, it is a very sad day when, you know, the FBI is not held in the high esteem that it's entitled to. Um, so I want to thank you for joining us tonight, Congressman Darrell The evil people are, of course, domestic terrorists. And... This Department of Justice, this Attorney General, identified who those domestic terrorists are. He called parents that have the chutzpah to go to their kids' school board and listen to the context of the meeting, what happens in the meeting, and then to stand up and object to some of the teachings in these schools, things like transgenderism, sex changes, uh, all kinds of politicization there and stand up against it. Critical race theory, 
that's all they're doing. They're taking care of their kids. And this attorney general wants and instructed the FBI to, on a local basis, interact and interface with local law enforcement agents and make sure, watch these parents that go to these meetings and make sure they don't commit domestic terrorist laws, the ones that can label them legally as domestic terrorists. Can you believe that's what's going on? Oh, you remember those evil domestic terrorists that burned down Minneapolis in the wake of the George Floyd shooting, $6 billion of damage and destruction to infrastructure. Many of it, of those buildings were owned by individuals that were entrepreneurs. Their careers were over. There were a few arrests that were made but they weren't called domestic terrorists. That was an act. Those were acts of domestic terrorism. And then what happened in Rochester, New York, and what happens every weekend in Chicago, Philadelphia, Baltimore, New York City, all of the lawlessness there that is coordinated. They don't call that domestic terrorism. Why is that? Because they can't confirm that those people are Republicans. And we know in the Department of Justice, we know the only domestic terrorists are Republicans. Real truth, real news. TNN, the Truth News Network. New home ownership can be a real eye-opener, but it's the perfect time to look into Homeowner 101 from The Home Depot. Free live streaming workshops taught by expert associates. Now at homedepot.com workshops. You'll find indoor and outdoor workshops, even home systems workshops. Plus, you'll get the know-how you need to care for your biggest investment. Master the basics at Homeowner 101, only at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Register now at homedepot.com workshops. Are you ready for best life minus the burnout? I'm Zuri Hall from NBC's Access Hollywood, and my new podcast, Hot Happy Mess, is all about the most important VIP, you. Join us each Monday as we discuss relationships, self-care, career, and much more. Our podcast is for mindful, ambitious, diverse millennial women who are ready for more happiness, laughter, peace, and purpose now. iHeartRadio is number one for podcasts, and it's easy to see why. Listen to Hot Happy Mess every week on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Jack, founder of Jack in the Box. Is the caller there? Mr. Box, Douglas Gompertz from Burger Week magazine. Oh, hey, Doug. Doug's a respected fast food critic. I recently dined on your sourdough Jack combo. And? Perfection. The cheese, the jumbo patty, the golden sourdough bread, the French fries. Bravo. Well, thank you. However, I found the dessert a bit dry. It doesn't come with dessert. The candy. The white, round candy with the happy face. Was it wearing a scarf? Yes, I believe it was. Rosy cheeks, fuzzy earmuffs? Yes, that's it. Douglas, you ate a holiday ball. <gasps> We're giving one away free to customers who buy a sourdough jack combo. But they're not for dessert. They're for antennas. Or a pencil. Right. Well, that's going to improve your score dramatically. Excellent. Too much spin on your plate? How about a diet of truth? The Truth News Network sets your table. And here again to serve it up is Dan Newman. So what do we have for you today in our second hour? Well, coming up, we've, um, we've got some people we want you to hear from. Peter Ducey. Yeah, want to hear from Peter Ducey. We also have an expert that is weighing in on the three types 
of documents that were seized by the FBA down at Mar-a-Lago and, and explaining those to you. Um, let's see what else we have going on. There's news overnight. Looks like in the South China Sea, there's pending war there. Taiwan, they didn't shoot down, but they tried to shoot down a Chinese drone that flew over. It was a warning shot. And um, I think we're going to have actual war over there. And I hate it for the people of Taiwan. And I hate it for us. Do you realize that almost all of our technology, the core of our technology, the chips, the chips, those computer chips, a huge majority of those are made in Taiwan. That's one of the reasons why China wants it. They want to be able to stop us, the United States, from getting those chips from Taiwan. We're in rapid production across the nation, uh, implanting facilities to make those chips, but we don't have it done yet. So it's an important thing. We've got a story about the Taiwan issue and what's going on there, and that CIA former expert will be here. But first, I wanted you to listen in on White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre and Fox News' Peter Ducey, and we referenced some of this conversation, but I wanted you to get it from the horse's mouth. Thanks, Green. There's a big problem now that rainbow fentanyl, which is designed to target children, has been found in 18 states. What specifically is the president doing about this? So uh, we just talked about uh, uh, the day, the overdose awareness day that, um, uh, that we are uh, observing today. Uh, I just laid out uh, what the second gentleman uh, and uh, others are doing within, within this administration. Uh, and, um, you know, we are going to continue to focus on the, uh, the steps that we're taking, that we have taken. You have the $80 million uh, that DHS just announced uh, today on drug prevention. And the president has taken uh, many steps. He's made this a priority uh, to make sure that we attack a very uh, dangerous, uh, very dangerous drug, serious drugs in this country. But 300 overdoses a day now. We know how the fentanyl is coming into the country. It's coming right across the southern border. The DEA administrator says so. So when is the president going to do something? So I will say that uh, you have seen a 200% increase of fentanyl seizures, which means that uh, we, are, we are doing the job of catching drug traffickers. 200%, hold on, 200% increase, just and again, Americans seizures. Americans' life expectancies are going down uh, at a rate not seen in a century, and part of that is being driven by drug overdoses. So what is the president going to do? And we ag- we agree. We agree. We see those same numbers as well. But the fact that we are uh, you know we are securing the border, uh, the fact that we are securing record levels of funding uh, from DHS so they can stop illicit drugs from entering into the country, the st- the fact that uh, it's not just drug traffickers that we're dealing with as well, we're stopping stopping financiers. This is what's happening with this under this administration. But it's Look, not but, being but stopped. Three hundred overdoses. This is being designed to target I, children, drug cartels. In I Mexico, hear you. want to kill American kids. What is this president doing about it? I hear you. I just, I just laid out 200% of increase of drug fentanyl seizures. That is a dangerous drug that we are taking off the street. 
we are going to continue to focus. This is an important, important priority for this president. And I just want to talk about how you're saying that they're, you know, they're just the, the border, right? And how the border, whatever you just stated, I uh, just want to clear this up. Migrants people are coming who, in, fentanyl's coming in, people are dying. Hold, hold on. So migrant, migrants who attempted to enter the country illegal, illegally are taken into custody by border patrol agents. That is how it works. That is the process that we are taking. They are then either expelled by the court order under Title 42, transferred to ICE uh, custody, or monitored through alternatives to detention program as they await further processing. We have made 3,000 arrests in the first three months of launching an aggressive campaign to combat the multi-billion-dollar human smuggling industry. When it comes to when it comes to what's happening with drug overdose, this is something that the president cares about. This is something that the president has laid out a plan to make sure that our kids, our babies, our you know, young Americans here in this country are not continuing to suffer from that, are not continuing to be given or access to drugs. This is something that's incredibly important to this president. So to say that we're not doing enough, Peter, is just falsely, categorically wrong, especially on the day that we are observing what needs to be done and and we have announced, DHS has announced, $80 million to prevent that. So we are doing the work. And here's the thing, Peter, if, look, if Republicans want to help us stop overdose and stop our kids getting overdose because of these dangerous drugs, because of these fentanyl that we're seeing in the streets, we're happy to work with them. But they're not. I'm moving on, Peter. I'm moving on. I'm moving on. That is so exhausting to listen to the White House press secretary. But listen, this whole process goes back to the very beginning of the Biden administration. Remember, nobody thought about a supply chain issue was going to happen. But then when the supply chain issue happened and we found out just how horrible it was going to be and still remains to be for us to get our goods in time and the stuff that we need in the volume in which we need it. When it all came up, her predecessor, who was her predecessor? Corinne Jean-Pierre. Do you remember? <laughs> yeah, we all do, and I can't remember her name right now. Her predecessor said, oh, we were working. We had a plan developed even before Joe Biden was inaugurated as president. Didn't give us the plan, and even if they had a plan, this was months later, a year later, talking about, we had a plan. Oh, yeah, we had a plan. They never gave us the plan. They never told us what was in the plan. But even if they did have a plan, the plan didn't work. Jean-Pierre, she just kept going back and talking about what they are doing. They, being the Biden administration, are doing, oh, we're doing this. We've, we've done this. We've got thousands and thousands of these people, these drug uh, drug runners, we've arrested all these people. We've got a plan, and we're working together, and this president, he's all over it, and we've got a plan. You ask for the plan, you get nothing. They don't have a plan. What they're doing, it's the Yakimo, you know, where the little things pop up, the heads pop up, and you have the rubber hammer, and you have to hit them on the head, and just as they pop up, that's the only time you deal with them. You wait until they pop up, and then, bam, you hit him in the head. Jin Psaki was the principal, the very first 
Joe Biden White House press secretary, and she's the one. She was much better than Jean-Pierre, but maybe because Corrine Jean-Pierre is so inept in the way she's covering things from that podium, maybe it's better for us that she is because Americans are actually seeing exactly what's going on behind the scenes in many cases. And Peter Ducey asked her the same question six times. Never got an answer. Never got an answer. Drugs flooding across our southern border. Human trafficking flooding across our southern border. Sex trafficking. What is our government doing to stop it? They're not doing anything. That's why it continues to get worse and worse and worse and will continue to get worse because they are not going to do anything about it. I'm telling you, they're not. So Texas and their buses full of migrant workers got a new target for dropping these people off. Two buses carrying migrants from Texas to Chicago showed up Wednesday night. The buses arrived at Chicago's Union Station about 7.30 p.m. last night carrying migrants who crossed the southern border illegally. An estimated 80 to 100 people were on those buses, including 20 to 30 small kids. Many of the migrants said they were from Venezuela. Chicago's the latest city where migrants have been bused from Texas, following New York City, Washington, D.C., all of which, just like Chicago, have Democrat mayors. Texas Governor Greg Abbott said in the statement he looks forward to seeing Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot welcome migrants since Chicago is another sanctuary city. He said President Biden's inaction at our southern border continues putting the lives of Texans and Americans at risk and is overwhelming our communities. To continue providing much-needed relief to our small overrun border towns, Chicago will join fellow sanctuary cities, Washington, D.C., and New York City as an additional drop-off location. Mayor Lightfoot loves to tout the responsibility of her city to welcome all, regardless of legal status, and I look forward to seeing this responsibility in action as these migrants receive resources from a sanctuary city with the capacity to serve them. That was um, a little bit of in-your-face from Governor Abbott of Texas to Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. A spokesman for her, Lori Lightfoot's office, said in a statement that Abbott is, quote, without any shame or humanity. (laughs) Uh, You know, all of that stuff that's coming out of these big cities where they claim we're a sanctuary city, we welcome all people. All that is is political pontificating. There's no substance behind it. Look what the mayor of New York did when a couple of buses of illegals showed up there. Oh, he went nuts. Absolutely crazy. How could Texas do this? This is crazy. They can't do that. That's illegal, which it's not. Same thing happened in Washington, D.C. The mayor goes crazy about it. And now you'll hear from Lori Lightfoot probably today. That spokesperson for Lightfoot's office said, unfortunately, 
Texas Governor Greg Abbott is without any shame or humanity, but ever since he put these racist practices of expulsion in place, we've been working with our community partners to ready the city to receive these individuals. Racial practices. Now, wait a minute. I thought the crime in this was that these criminals, which is what they are when they step on American soil without having a legal invitation to do so from our federal government, that's a criminal act. That's a criminal act. And they in Chicago, the spokesperson at least, wants to measure Greg Abbott and what he's doing in his state and compare that to what Laurie Lightfoot has been doing in her city regarding enforcing laws and holding those who break laws accountable. We won't even go into Laurie Lightfoot. I think she's averaging about a dozen people killed every weekend on her watch in her city. And this comes from gun violence that she is doing a feckless job of getting her law enforcement in Chicago geared up giving them the power and the authority that they need to clean up their city. Oh, you can't do that. We're a sanctuary city. We're open for everybody, and everybody floods there, and you get what you get. But anybody that thinks differently from them, they're evil. New York City, Democrat Mayor Eric Adams, when he was meeting the migrants on August 7th, said that the action of Abbott, his actions are horrific. In other words, we're better than that. Yeah, we're open to people that want to come here, but it's the ones that we want to come here, not just anybody. And for them to bring these migrants, oh my gosh, we got to do something about that. Texas has got to stop spending, sending those those people up here. Well, here's a novel idea. Push for a close of the southern border again getting Washington, D.C. to follow the laws. There's no law against Texas sending these migrants anywhere, by the way. But there is a law against these migrants crossing the border and coming into the United States. Let's do a quick segue. This student loan debt thing that Joe Biden has come up with, we told you here, There were going to be some lawsuits that were going to be flying over this because there is no constitutional authority for any president to do away with any debt. That falls solely as the responsibility of the United States Congress. One very influential conservative congressman says it's time for lawmakers to sue Joe Biden to block the cancellation of hundreds of billions of dollars of student loan debt challenging the plan on the grounds that it usurps the power of Congress to make laws. This is Representative Ralph Norman, who's a Republican from South Carolina. He said, I would jump all over this. We will join together. He said, lawmakers home for summer recess are hearing lots of anger about the plan, suggested the conservative and growing freedom caucus in the House could take the lead in litigation. I think other members of the Freedom Caucus, and to be honest with you, just members of Congress, were getting an earful. I think the House and the Senate, because this has really been never been done before, and where do you stop it? 
Are you going to start making house payments, forgiveness of debt? Are you going to do car payments? Where does it end? The concerns about the legality of Biden using these executive powers to cancel debt was first started by Nancy Pelosi a little over a year ago. Here's what she said. People think that the President of the United States has the power for debt forgiveness. He does not. He can postpone, he can delay, but he does not have that power to cancel student debt. This has to be an act of the Congress. It looks like lawsuits are about to fly, and they should fly. So, as that Republican congressman mentioned, they're in summer recess. Most of the members of the House of Representatives are back home. They're visiting in their districts. Some of them are actually taking vacations. Uh, and they, they should get it. They've got families, most of them, and they need a few days together outside of Washington, D.C. So while they're away, people are beginning to ask the questions. If you win the House in November, speaking to Republicans, if you win control of the House of Representatives, what are your plans regarding Joe Biden? Well, if they win the House, a huge group are already setting their sights on what is, for many of them, a top priority next year, impeachment of Joe Biden. A number of rank-and-file conservatives have already introduced impeachment articles. In the current Congress, they accuse Biden of committing high crimes in his approach to a range of issues, starting with border enforcement, the coronavirus pandemic, and the withdrawal of U.S. troops from Afghanistan. Those resolutions never even had a chance of seeing the light of day. Why? Democrats hold a narrow control of the lower chamber. But with Republicans widely expected to win the House majority in the midterms, many of those same conservatives want to tap their new potential powers to oust a president they deem unfit. Some would like to make it a first order of business. I have consistently said President Biden should be impeached for intentionally opening our border and making Americans less safe. That was said by Representative Bob Good, a Republican from Virginia. Congress has a duty to hold the president accountable for this and any other failures of his constitutional responsibilities. So, a new Republican majority must be prepared to aggressively conduct oversight on day one. Now, this conservative impeachment drive, it uh, is eerily similar to that of the one orchestrated by liberals four years ago as Democrats took control of the House back in 2019 under Donald Trump. At the time, a small handful of vocal progressives wanted to impeach Trump, largely over accusations that he'd obstructed a Justice Department probe into his quote-unquote Russian ties to his 2016 campaign. Nancy Pelosi, House Speaker then, House Speaker now, she summarily and again and again rejected those attempts to get an impeachment process started in the House of Representatives. The tide turned when a whistleblower accused Trump of pressuring a foreign power to find dirt on his political opponent, a charge that brought centrist Democrats 
onto the Trump impeachment train. So with moderates on board, Pelosi launched a formal impeachment inquiry in September of 2019, eight months after she took the Speaker's gavel. Three months later, the House impeached Trump on two counts related to abusing power. Of course, the Senate trial vindicated him, and that was the end of that. I just wonder how far the members of a Republican majority in the House, if they win the House, how far they're willing to go on this. I got to be honest with you. I would almost rather see them impeach and get rid of Alejandro Mayorkas, Homeland Security Secretary, because of what he is doing at the southern border. I know he's gotten the green light from the commander-in-chief. I get that. And that Joe Biden is principally responsible. But it's going to take a little time to impeach a president. But I think most people will agree Alejandro Mayorkas is in large part single-handedly blowing up constitutional rule of law, ignoring it, and creating, actually creating opportunities and ways for these immigrants to get into the nation and not only get in, but to stay here, remain here. And I get it. He's got a soft heart. He was an immigrant himself. He came here legally. So why, oh why, not make everybody that comes from other countries do it the legal way? They just don't think that. They just believe they can thumb their noses at the rule of law and they can just do anything and everything and allow anybody they want to come in with no consequence, no penalties for doing so. And they don't have that authority. No president has that authority. It's legal. It's in the Constitution, and it's passed in federal laws by the House of Representatives in the Senate. You cannot enter this country unless you have an official invitation to do so from our federal government. Could switching to GEICO really save you 15% or more on car insurance? Did the little piggy cry wee, wee, wee all the way home? You're home. Oh, cool. Thanks, Mrs. A. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Des Moines HelpWanted.com salutes the employee of the month. The one employee you can't live without. The others, let's just call them Dave. Dave, we need to talk about your sick days. What seems to be the problem, Mr. Employee of the Month? Last week you were out all five days. I was sick. Thanks for checking in. You posted on social media that you were at a comedy club on Monday. Laughter is the best medicine. An outdoor barbecue on Tuesday. Feed a cold, starve a fever, or whichever one needs to be fed. That's the one I had. Okay, Wednesday you took a selfie, hashtag faking sick. That was supposed to say freaking sick. Thursday you were at an amusement park. Somebody stole my phone. They stole your phone and uploaded photos of you at an amusement park. Yes, fake news. Friday, you tailgated in the employee parking lot. Friday's basically the weekend. Everyone knows that. If you don't mind hiring Dave's, go to the huge national job boards. That's probably what you'll get. But if you want more employees of the month, go where local job seekers find good local jobs. We don't discriminate against people named Dave. Dave is a common name, fun to say, and so we're using it as a catch-all for lackluster employees everywhere. Please don't write us to tell us you were insulted by this ad. That would be a real Dave move, Dave. 
Little Caesar's thin crust pizza is so loaded with cheese and pepperoni you can't even see the crust. And if you ever want to see it again, listen very carefully. Bring six forty nine in unmarked bills or marked bills or coins or just a credit or debit card to Little Caesars. Come alone and bring your friends or family. Bring everyone. Get a Little Caesars large thin crust pizza with extra cheese and the most pepperoni, all at the nation's best price of just six forty nine. Pizza, pizza. Top four national pizza chains. Extra most bestest thin crust pepperoni pizza versus large round one topping thin crust pepperoni pizza. Everyday standard menu prices at participating locations plus tax. Southern Rock there on the Truth News Network TNN Live show today. Thursday, Friday coming around, then the weekend. Got a long weekend ahead. Labor Day next Monday. You got plans to go somewhere? Take the fam somewhere? You got reservations at the beach? Growing up, our kids, even when I guess they were two and three years old, We made a pact, Marianne and I did, and every summer we took our family to the beach. And we rotated, we we were on the Redneck Riviera. We rotated from Gulf Shores, Alabama, or to Destin, Florida. And typically the rotation was driven by which place had been hit the last by a hurricane. There's always a big storm that comes into the Gulf of Mexico and typically one of those two locations is hit the hardest, and there's a lot of devastation, and they're used to it, building back and all that kind of stuff. But I'm bringing that up to tell you this. We'd go spend at least one week of the summer, and then typically Marianne and I would go back and spend another week in the fall or the spring. Um, Her sister and brother-in-law and their kid, uh, they would go with us often. It's a really close family, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying that to say this. Late, we hadn't scheduled the vacation, but I guess two days ago, Marianne said, what do you think about leaving Saturday morning and going to the beach for three days? You could do your show there. Boy, it would be wonderful to sit out on the balcony in Destin or Gulf Shores looking over the water and enjoying the waves, the sound of the waves, and letting you see and hear a little bit of that sea. No, you couldn't see it, but hear a little bit of that wonderful sound. It's hard for me not to go to sleep when I hear these waves. Actually, at nighttime, we listen to a wave. Everybody has them on their iPhone. Don't lie about it. It just gives you a a little push to go to sleep and relax. I said all that to say this. So me, I'm Mr. Investigator. I can always find anything I'm looking for, everything I'm looking for. I just have ways and a knack to dig and find. So I just got after it. I spent about three hours trying to find a place in Gulf Shores or Destin on the water. And I mean on the water, waterfront, not two blocks away, not walk to the beach. It's okay for those things, but when I go, I go to participate in the, the things right in front of my face that result in me going there. And what is that? Water, waves, ocean, 24-7, I got to have it. I couldn't find a place. 
And it's because I get it. It's because of Labor Day weekend, and it you know it's it's a long weekend, and it's kind of like the uh, the bye bye to summertime Labor Day weekend used to be when we were growing up. It was always the sign we would start back to school the day after Labor Day every year. But I couldn't find a single place. And then I began to look at local lakes, resort areas that are within driving distance of here. Uh, you have Hot Springs, Arkansas, which is a really cool place, really nice place. And then you have a couple of them up in southeast Oklahoma. And on lakes, I couldn't find any place that was available. So guess what we're going to do? We're going to stay home. <laughs> our One of our our daughters and her husband just got back from Cabo San Lucas. <laughs> Boy, if you've not been to Cabo, you've missed a little taste of heaven on earth. I've been three times. Marianne hadn't been yet. She reminds me of that regularly. I went with other guys and we played golf. And it is the golf mecca of uh, North and Central America. I promise you. And a lot of it has to do with the beauty of the water. And Cabo, if you didn't know it, it's on the tip of the Baja Peninsula, which is the little one that hangs down from just below San Diego and runs down on the west side of Mexico. And on the right side of it, as you look at the map, which is the east side of it, that water body is the Sea of Cortez. And to the left of the Baja Peninsula, as you look at it, or the west, it's the Pacific Ocean. You can go to the very tip of the Baja Peninsula, and that is Cabo San Lucas. You can go stand and actually stand there and look south, straight out over the water, and you're literally, if you look about 20 feet to the right, you're looking at the Pacific Ocean. 20 feet to the left is the Sea of Cortez. It is beautiful. Food out the wazoo, great service, friendly people. It's been very safe there. And I said all that to say this. I know somebody out there is going to Cabo, and I'm jealous. I just want to tell you that. I'm not asking to go with you. I'm just saying we're frustrated people. We didn't get our beach vacation in, and we didn't last year either. Why is that? Our grandkids are growing up. They're in high school. We've only got one left that's not in high school. Three are juniors this year. And they're going and doing, and the girls or soccer players. So they're going to tournaments all over every weekend playing soccer, and they don't have time to go to the beach. They're playing soccer. So that means we don't get to go. It's not fair. It's just not fair. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I just got a note. Check out Villa Coyoba in Destin. Hmm, never heard of that one. I'll check it out. Villa Coyoba. Thank you, James. We'll take a look at it. Got a little interesting news just moments ago from California. I know I heard, and I'm sure you probably did, that you know they're pushing for electric vehicles, and they came out with this law that is just tearing the nation apart. Just, I think the number is by 2035, you can only have electric vehicles. It's going to be interesting to see how they handle that with electric airliners. 
<laughs> where are you going to plug a 747 to charge its batteries, right? Well, they're really into this climate activist stuff and this Green New Deal, getting uh, carbon fuel out of their future. And so very quietly, we find out they're facing an energy shortage. In fact, Governor Newsom himself came out and he said, look, over the next week to 10 days, we need for you to turn the thermostat on your air conditioner up to 78. And we, if you own electric vehicles, we don't want you to be charging your cars because we're going to have energy problems. Hmm. So very quietly yesterday, the California state legislature voted to postpone the closure of the Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant, which is the state's last one, as an acute energy shortage forced green ideologues to rethink the wisdom of cutting off 6% of the state's current power supply. It was a lopsided vote. It came after Newsom and even Senator Dianne Feinstein urged legislators to reverse course and approve a $1.4 billion loan to the Pacific Gas and Electric Company so that Diablo Canyon would not close in 2025, but move that back to 2030. The LA Times noted, California's inability to avoid rolling blackouts during 2020 heat wave prompted Newsom to rethink closing Diablo, the state's single largest power source. The plant generated 6% of California's electricity last year. So Senator Feinstein wrote in a letter that renewable energy sources had not yet been able to make up for lost nuclear power or fossil fuels. Listen to folks, that is a miracle. You just heard that a Democrat actually acknowledged in the green energy climate change fiasco that is out there, acknowledged that we're not ready to go green. We need nuclear power and fossil fuels. She wrote this, California has some of the most ambitious clean energy mandates in the world. However, despite massive investments and commitment, development of non-emitting renewable energy resources like wind, solar, and geothermal are not projected to be installed in time to meet California's energy demand without power from Diablo Canyon. At this time, the alternative to the closure of the reactors at Diablo Canyon would most likely be additional natural gas generation, which would reverse progress on emission reductions and worsen air quality. The state would be better served by a temporary extension of an existing carbon-free resource. This illustrates one thing. Why... Why is this push for climate change and getting away overnight from all fossil fuels, why was this done without having a transition plan? Think about the moving parts to totally changing a nation's energy dependence, especially one as large as the United States of America. Look what happened and is happening right now in Germany. Germany did the same thing. They closed coal plants 
in the push in the European Union to move away from fossil fuels and dependence upon fossil fuels for energy, they went ahead and closed several of their coal plants. And then we find out that it wasn't any surprise to me, but Vladimir Putin, just with no excuse, no planning, no preparation, no heads up, hey, we called this morning to tell you from Moscow we're shutting down the pipeline that's bringing all the natural gas to you that we're selling to you because we got something going on. We're sorry, we'll let you know when it's back up. It's happened two or three times. Germany woke up and said, you know what? We made a boo-boo. So they're going back and they're reopening several of their coal plants. California's doing the same thing. They've been up there pontificating every day about how evil everybody is that drives a fossil fuel car. Look at what we're doing. We got electric cars. Oh, by the way, don't go plug your car in tonight. None of you do that. You need to find another way to get to work or get to school because we don't have enough energy for every electric vehicle to be charged. We'll let you know when it's okay. This is the stupidest thing. It illustrates the stupid, stupidest decisions made by lawmakers in my lifetime. I cannot believe that this has been allowed. I just can't believe it. But it is. And it's people like the vice president in chief, Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris, boy, she is an enigma unto herself. When she was on the Senate Judiciary Committee and they were interviewing Supreme Court justices She was unbelievably nasty and ruthless to these people because they were Democrat. No, they weren't Democrats. They were Republican nominees, conservative nominees. And that meant, first of all, you're evil, you're racist, you're a homophobe, and you're especially horrible because Donald Trump nominated you. And he, of course, is a megamaniac. She got nasty. I mean, really ugly. But she seemed to be very intelligent. And she seemed, she knew what she was talking about. And then she gets elected as vice president to serve with Joe Biden. And now, for some reason, it seems like she can't put five words together that make sense in the speech, unless it's on a teleprompter. A world in which substantial affiliated melodramatic dancing scenario citations and dubious deceival mescal beans unimpaired by compunction excogitate at any impasse. Now, those last 18 words I literally just picked at random from my beloved Roger's thesaurus, but even plucking words out of thin air makes more sense than anything the Vice President of the United States, Kamala Harris, says on any topic whatsoever. We know that we really are quite behind in terms of maximizing our collective understanding about how we will engage on the technology of today and what we can quickly and easily predict will be the technology over the next decades. So to maintain our position as the United States of America on this issue, it is critical that we work together to understand where we are, 
to recognize and have the courage to speak truth about what is obsolete, and then to partner to ensure that we are speaking the same language with the same motivation, inspired by the opportunity of it all, but then doing the work of updating how we have been talking and thinking about our exploration in space. Utterly meaningless. The person who is only one heartbeat away from being leader of the free world. Any idea what she was talking about? Nor have I. But this is the sort of gobbledygook we get day in and day out from our politicians. Devoid of meaning, impossible to pin down and instantly forgettable. Isn't it interesting that it takes people from Australia to speak some wisdom and give us an idea of what is happening at the top of our ticket? We know it's bad. We just don't even think, or very seldom do we think about the ramifications of the feckless leadership that we have in the president's office and in the vice president's office of how that resonates around the world. These people that are representing us, what they are is an example to the world, everybody on the planet about the United States of America. I found that out the hard way. I spent time in Northern Europe and I integrated with a lot of these people in a business transaction over a period of days and weeks and they just can't believe what they're seeing and hearing about Americans that are in leadership in the House of Representatives in the Senate and the White House. They just don't get it. They just don't. Uncertain about what you see and hear in mainstream media? Worried about getting the truth? No worries anymore. Get the truth, only the truth, at TNN, the Truth News Network, at truthnewsnet.org. Howdy, the streamer here. You know, there's a place down yonder where three streams converge into one. It's where I saw the Mandalorian get himself into a space squabble. Watch me some UFC. Those folks from Modern Family had me cackling like a trout getting tickled. Well, that's a Disney bundle for you. It lets you stream Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus for only $13.99 a month. The Disney bundle. It's streaming at its best. Includes Hulu ad-supported plan. Access content from each service separately. Terms apply. Visit the DisneyBundle.com for details. Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola. Like your first time camping or falling in love on a flying date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials. So every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials excluding cap and label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. When Bolshevik Barbie throws shade, you have the weapon of light. The truth. TNN. The Truth News Network. I no more than got those words out of my mouth and I started getting texts with suggestions of places in Destin and Gulf Shores and even Panama City of places to go. Thank you for sending those. Um, I obviously I can't do anything or check them out until I get off the air, but I promise you I will. And let me just tell you this, even if we do happen to go down there, guess what's going to happen? TNN Live will be on every day. 
The difference is, is you'll be able to hear waves in the background because I will be doing it. If I go, it'll be at a ocean facing condo or hotel room with a balcony and I'll be out there with all my equipment doing the show for you while I'll be drinking coffee and uh, watching the waves and listening to the waves. Doesn't that just sound super cool? I promised you that we were going to listen to a former CIA officer who gave us the skinny about the three types of documents that were found at Mar-a-Lago and their importance. And I want you to listen to this report. This is important for Americans to understand. Classified documents all over the place. It said classified, and then there was something else like CIS. I don't know what that means. Maybe you do. Uh, yeah. Uh, look, this is. I mean, what what they've done, obviously, is I, you know, they've they've laid out to some degree uh, some of the documentation that they're talking about, the hundreds of documents that they've found so far that had a variety of classifications. So in, in simple sense, there's, there's three basic types. Confidential, which means if confidential information is classified as such, it will cause harm to national security interests. If it's classified as secret, then the information is essentially deemed as causing serious uh, damage to national security interests, and top secret. Uh, is considered extremely grave damage, potentially, to national security interests if it gets in the wrong hands. And then you've got other—SCI just means special compartmentalized information. You've got uh, special code word within some of these categories that uh, means only certain people with top-secret clearance can read it if they're rated on a type of program, like uh, a nuke program of uh, weapons of mass destruction, whatever it may be. Uh, but is this something new? Well, no, because we've been hearing in dribs and drabs from the DOJ that, you know, this is all about documents. So it, it, you can't really argue it's something new. We're just seeing a, a photo that shows some of these documents that they're talking about. Yeah. And also, who, how many people are allowed to classify these things? I mean, I, I imagine there's a lot of people who have the authority to stamp these things classified. And it's always basically a judgment call, isn't it? When they say there's all these classified materials, we don't know how classified they are. And, you know, I'm guessing that most of this stuff is just, it shouldn't be classified. What do you think of that? Well, it, it depends. Look, you, you, you don't want to play games with, with classification because uh, a lot of this information is really critical to our national security interests. You can argue, however, and it has happened over years, that sometimes the classification process throws a large net out there, particularly when we're talking about confidential or secret. Uh, top secret and certainly, you know, special code word uh, access, that's a different game. That's a very serious information. But you can argue that a lot of documents can get classified just in sort of the Z of doing that because, you know, why not? It was like when we had a, a watch list for people who were flying after 9-11. Uh, rather than, you know, going through the hard work of taking an individual, doing all the background work, we just threw a bunch of people on there uh, with, with, you know, with a, and, and it caused problems. But with this, look, two things can be true at the same time, right? The, the president, any president, shouldn't be taking uh, uh, presidential records, government-owned material, classified material out with them when they leave the administration, when they depart the White House. That can be true. That's, that shouldn't happen. And the other thing that could be true is the DOJ, uh, you know, could well have overreached here. 
and have, have done this intrusive effort and completely botched up this, this, uh, this effort by not apparently understanding just what a firestorm the search of a former president's home would have, and they seemed completely unprepared to deal with the aftermath of this. And, you know, I, so this has gotten far worse than it needed to be. They probably could have found a less intrusive way of doing this, for sure. Uh, but once they decided to do this search, then they should have been prepared to be more transparent, to tamp down all the speculation, because both sides are just speculating left and right now about what this all means. And uh, most people, very few people, actually have the details. Um, but I, I blame the DOJ for not understanding, just apparently, how serious this was going to be and what they needed to do to try to, uh, you know, minimize this blowback. Yeah, it was clumsy. And then after there was a firestorm, they all started doing the CYA. And I, that's what I think they dribs and drabs. And they're showing these photographs. I mean, a bunch of documents on the floor, more confidential. I mean, it looks very silly. Mike, thanks right. so much. Great segment. Sure. You know what this whole Mar-a-Lago thing illustrates? It illustrates how inept are people in Washington, D.C. You have to be really, really good at one thing or another career-wise. Very seldom do people that straddle two of those, you know, one type of uh, vocation and a second type, very few people are able to successfully straddle both types at one kind. But yet Washington, D.C. is full of people that think they can. And they end up, many of them end up in the intelligence community, and so they want to be in intelligence doing all of those very important special things to keep us all safe. They want to do that. And to do that, you can't just go get it. And here's a manual, and the manual is the same year after year after year, and this is how you do that. It changes daily. It changes hourly threats are weaponized around the world against the United States and the people of the United States. And so those in the intelligence community have to be on point, many of them 24-7, just to be ready to counter these kinds of attacks. And then they have to also live a little bit in the political world because they interact with the legislative branch of the government and doing so is very, very important. So what do they do? It just seems like all of them, they come up with this plan, this cookie-cutter plan that says, look, what you have to do is con the politicos. You just have to keep them thinking everything's okay. And when they get after you about needing documents or needing information, just tell them, yes, Mr. Congressman, yes, Ms. Senator, I get it. I don't have that information right now. I don't have that answer right now. But let me get back to you. Or they say, well, you know what? I'd like to answer that, but I can't do it here because this is in an open session. This is classified, and I'd be willing to talk to you in a classified setting, but I can't do it here, knowing full well it's really difficult to do a classified setting because the schedule, the calendar of legislation is set and there's timing there. There are only so many days that Congress is working, so they got to get their business all done. And inevitably what doesn't happen is the get back to us in these classified settings. 
So then there's a third group of people that look and watch this. These are the people, these are the giants in the politicization of America using the politicization for whatever specific purposes they so choose. And they can manipulate people in both of the groups that I just talked to you about to be their pawns at getting political things achieved that they want to be achieved. Sometimes it takes buying off people. Sometimes they have to throw somebody as a sacrificial lamb out there that's going to end up at least in litigation, but may end up in criminal issues. And many of those people end up in jail. But it's okay because doing that helped them reach the political end that they hope for. Do you get it? It's three moving points in everything, in everything that happens in Washington, D.C. And it's not simply good and evil. There is good and evil in pretty much everything, just like there's good and evil in everything we face. None of us are exempt. I mean, we all face the same kinds of things. They just may look a little different, may be coming from a different source, but they come at us, and we have to make the same determinations. For some reason, most of us think, most Americans think, that those people that are up in Congress, when they face these things, they just float right through them. After all, they have the power, they have the knowledge. They're members of the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate or the White House. These are people that are the cream of the crop. When in actuality, these are people just like you and me that they just happen to want to, for whatever reason or reasons, get into the political blogosphere and live there. I can't imagine even wanting to do that. In my many conversations with my good friend Mike Johnson, he's our congressman in the 4th Congressional District in Louisiana, I talk to him about that a lot, and I'm not going to get into details of personal conversations, but I'll tell you this, it really bothers him because he sees how difficult it is, and he and Kelly, his wife, have kids. So it's really tough to live in two places. But if you're going to get into Congress, you're going to have to do that. It's that simple. There's no way around it. you got to be there. But then you're torn because you represent the people of the 4th Congressional District, Northwest Louisiana, so you got to get face-to-face with them. You can't just go all year and never show up. There are lots of big events. And then, of course, every two years, you got to campaign if you want to stay in the House. you got to campaign to get back there. So you have to be at home while Congress is going on. It's a really tough situation and a balancing act. But all of what I just said is rolled into this one thing that I'm asked about all the time. How do people that aren't wealthy at all, conservatives, and I'm talking about regular conservatives and regular Democrats that live out in the hitherland in various towns and cities, they decide they want to run for office, and so they somehow garner the money they need to campaign sufficient to get elected. They get elected and go. How do these people 
when they leave office, with no exception, how do they do so? Multimillionaires. And it's because of all of the financial opportunities that they have. But they don't get those until they show up. And it's a big deal. Thank you for joining us this Thursday. We're going to end the week together tomorrow. A special show tomorrow. Tell you more about that in the morning. But listen, it's always a pleasure and an honor to be together with you. And I appreciate you making Truth News Network TNN Live part of your day. You have a great Thursday, and I'll see you tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. You can play the game, you can act out the part, though you know it wasn't written for you. Tell me, how do you stand there with your broken heart, all ashamed of playing fool? But one thing can lead to another, it doesn't take any sacrifice. Shower the peace.
Make it. 